Today we're talking about things we do and things that God does and where they line up and where they don't. Now, in terms of things we do, there's some things that happened this week that are worth, worth celebrating. First off, our Rock Springs High School varsity football team beat East High out of Cheyenne and is going to the state championships this weekend. So congratulations to Tom and to the guys who are here that play. That's exciting news, and that hasn't, I think it's been almost, what, 20 years? Something like, something like that, that, that that's been gone on. So that's exciting news. This week, the theater department up at Western opened up their show of Footloose, and in the inimitable words of Frank Sinatra, I don't dance, so don't ask me. But they, were, they did a fantastic job. Footloose. It's a musical about this teenage guy that lives in Chicago and moves to this small town where dancing is not allowed. And the discussion that they have going back and forth with the town council is actually based on a true story of a little town in Oklahoma that was dealing with a hundred-year-old law in 1979 when kids decided they wanted to have a prom. So... Um, if you haven't seen the show, they're still going this week, and it's well worth seeing. We've got some people in here. Uh, Cade's one of them. Uh, some of the people in the Stewart family. Uh, on and on. It's just been a great, great show, and I recommend it to you. If you come out of a litur liturgical, traditional church background, today is known as All Saints Sunday. All Hallows' Eve, the next day is All Saints' Day. The first Sunday that comes after Halloween is called All Saints' Sunday, and it was originally instituted to honor martyrs in the church, people who had died, been killed for their faith. It was later around the ninth century expanded to include all saints. What's a saint? Well, the short version is somebody that you know that you know that you know went to heaven. Interestingly enough, in traditional churches, a lot of them, you have to be venerated or canonized or, or voted in and according to the dictionary, uh, a saint is someone who has had an, a life of extraordinary holiness. What does that have to do with Footloose and the Rock Springs varsity football team is that a lot of our lives are based on performance. We've grown up from the time we were little watching Disney movies, seeing a little girl rebel against whomever, and realized that life would be happily ever after if we'd just follow the rules. Our performance has come to be part of life, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with using a measuring stick of performance, uh, especially when it comes to sports, uh, especially when it comes to what you do and don't do according to the rules of your town. Uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with doing the right thing when it comes to living our lives. But when it creeps over into our understanding of faith and salvation, and we bring our performance mindset into that, we've got a problem. Now, we all do it. We all do it. And sometimes our backgrounds and our families and the churches we grew up in kind of help encourage that. But when we 
What our performance orientation that we use in so many areas of life has the potential, and when it begins to shape our relationship with God, we've got a problem. Everything does have a starting point, including faith, and that's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. We've got a couple more weeks to go, talking about if you were to come back to faith, or if you are currently kicking the tires on what you believe, or if you just want better handles on what the Christian faith is all about, so that when someone asks you, your brother-in-law says, wow, that's a, you've got a proper response, something that's foundational. We're having these conversations and opening up these conversations about faith so that we can deepen the foundations of what we believe and what we express to people. So for many people... We started off as kids, we got handed a plate with faith on it, and we accepted it and ate the cookies and said, thank you very much, yes sir, yes ma'am. And a lot of times we grow up and our faith kind of fractures, it falls apart because it runs into the wall of real life. And it hasn't been properly built in such a way that it can withstand the rigors of adult life, and so that's what we're doing. We're looking at, if we were to look at adult starting points for faith, what would that look like and how could that strengthen what we believe? Today I want to talk about something that we all do, even Leonard. <laughs> Here's something I know about you. If you're like most people, in your faith journey at some point, you've taken a bargaining posture with God. You've played. Let's make a deal. We all do it. God, if you will, do whatever. I promise that I will do this, right? We were a junior in high school. We were coming home late again. We knew that our parents were going to be not pleased. Maybe that was just my story. And the prayer on the way home is, God, if, if you could just have my folks be asleep when I get home, that I promise I'll go to Sunday school, I'll go to youth camp, and you know what, I'll run youth camp, I'll become a worship leader. We give all of these <laughs> promises that we go. Maybe there's a project due at work in the morning, and it's like, God, if my boss could just come in late or not be there. Um, maybe there's someone you know. Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe someone you know is really sick. And you're praying with your whole heart, God, please, we need healing, we need a miracle, and we can't do it, and medical science has run out of ideas, so we need something. And if you will, then I will. Or if you will, then I promise I'll never again, right? Maybe it's one of those conversations, God, we already have enough kids, <laughs> and we make these deals, we try to bargain with God. If you've ever negotiated or tried to work a deal with God, raise your hand. All right. Let's pretend we're in Catholic Church and we're doing confession. If you've ever made a deal with God or tried... Okay. We all do it. We come to the table and say, God, I need more than what I could do. I need to move the needle with you somehow. It's part of religion. In fact, it's part of every religion. Religion tends to foster this idea that we're going to have a bargain with God, that we're going to make a deal. Why else do you think people bring, for centuries, bring little things and set them on the altar? Why else do you think that people, in Roman times, 
There was a saying, and I didn't write it down, I should have, that the, 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 the army that is most prepared wins the battle. These days we just say whoever, whichever team's got the best quarterback wins the battle. Even atheists do it. Have you noticed that? To whom it may concern, or we put this out there to the universe, if you will, that I will this. We've all done it. Everybody gets desperate. Here's the second thing I know about all of us. We don't keep our end of the bargain. Things work out. Mom was asleep. Gosh. The next day we're telling our buddies, I was so lucky. My mom was just crashed out. She had been, she was exhausted. Or my boss was sick, so he wasn't going to be in for the next day. Or birth control came through. Whatever the story, right? Nervous laughter. Uh, Whatever the story is, we, we tend to chalk it up to circumstance or luck or things just happening in our favor. We don't keep our end of the bargain. And so we go right back to doing the same old things. And we don't, we certainly don't become better people, right? Unless it doesn't work out, and then we blame God because, well, he's God after all. Behind all of this negotiating, these deals that we try to make, whether they're big or small, is two huge assumptions. First assumption is that you believe that God knows you exist. That's a huge assumption. I mean, if, you, if you've ever made a deal with God, then by default, you believe that God knows you exist. You've got more than enough faith to believe to follow Jesus Christ. You've got more than enough faith to get up in the morning. If you've ever made a deal with God, that's a lot of faith. You believe God knows your name. You believe God knows your circumstances. And you believe God gives a rip. Assumption number two, if you've ever made a deal with God, you believe at some point that you have something that God wants. Hey, God, if you do this for me, then I'll give you, how about some bright, shiny obedience? We'll we'll follow all of those rules. How about some church attendance? We'll show up on time, even on a time change weekend. How about about some money, God? Because I hear that's what all your churches want anyway. That's certainly what the preachers seem to want. Um, If you're new, you'll notice that we don't take an offering here. There's giving boxes in the back, should you like. As silly as it might sound, we often put our conversations with God in those terms. When we do, it drives our entire relationship with God. It kind of takes ownership of everything that we have going on between us and God, every interaction, how we posture ourselves before God, our prayers, it takes over. Every religious system fosters this. Now, to be fair, there's a couple that have no absolutes, and okay. But every religious system fosters this idea of bargaining with God. So as we consider Christian faith, and as we look at the idea of coming to faith, or returning to faith, or strengthening our faith, here's something to remember even if it's hard to believe. God doesn't negotiate with you because God doesn't want something from you. God doesn't negotiate with you because God, there's nothing that God wants from you. In fact, what God wants is something for you. 
This is a really big deal, and we're going to dig into this and unpack it today. This is where we're headed. Not just because Pastor Michael isn't here and I've been let off the leash, but because, in fact, um, John and Tammy are here, Steve and Louise are here, Paul's here. If you've got any complaints, feel free to call or email them. Um, because they're the leadership team here at church. This is where we're headed today because the entire New Testament is based on this concept. Your performance does not play a role in your salvation. Your performance doesn't play a role in your salvation. I'm not saying it's not important. We'll get to that. But it doesn't play a role in your salvation, in your being saved and rescued. What you do, what you think, what you believe, your past, your future, doesn't play a role in your salvation. And that's what we're going to unpack today, because God doesn't want something from you. He wants instead something for you. The most famous verse in the, in the New Testament says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave... He loved you, he loved me so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why? The following verse, verse 17, explains it. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send Jesus to condemn you. God didn't send Jesus to beat you up. God didn't send Jesus to demand from you. God sent Jesus to save the world. Not to require a thing. See, the Christian faith isn't based on a contract or negotiation model. It's based on a gift-giving model. God had the gift. He gave it to us. All we have to do is say, okay, thank you. Yes, please. The cross is overwhelming evidence that God is for us. So there's no need to bargain. Obedience isn't a bargaining chip. Obedience isn't a, get, a way to get something. In fact, obedience, and we'll come back to this, it's our response to something we've already received. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We serve because we've been served. We give Because God gave so much to us already. We're kind to others because of the kindness of God toward us. We love, in fact, 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he, God, first, first loved us. Anything we could possibly offer God pales in comparison to what he has already done for you, for me. God doesn't want anything from us God wants something for each and every one of us. In Christian faith, the word that encapsulates this whole idea is grace. Chances are you've experienced grace at some point. Maybe you were at a a gas station and you were out of money and you walked in and the lady reached across and pulled a couple bucks out of the jar and handed it to you and you gave it to her and she put a couple of bucks. Right? She didn't know you. She didn't have a deep-seated desire for your well-being. She just helped you out and just gave you some grace. The definition of grace is unmerited favor, undeserved, 
unearned favor. Blessing that's not earned. Grace means basically we're getting something for nothing. Welcome to Christianity 101. Maybe it's a little different than what you heard growing up. Maybe it's a little different than what you were taught. Not that anyone had a, a wrong agenda or a bad agenda, but sometimes we get things out of order. And when you look at Scripture and it lines things up properly, grace first, obedience follows. Why? Because God gave to us first. Grace is favor or blessing that's neither earned or deserved. Mercy, now we get them confused sometimes. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. Mercy is the cop pulling me over and just giving me a warning. Uh, I, my wife, not me. <laughs> Grace is getting exactly what we don't deserve. God's favor, God's blessing, God's gift. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture found in Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians. Now this was written about 30 years after Jesus died and was resurrected and went to heaven, about 62, 65 A.D., Somewhere in there. And this letter was written while Paul was in prison. These, it was written to people he had never met. He had not been to Ephesus. Ephesus at the time was a port city. If you look at the map today, it's way inland. But waters receded and things changed. It was a major port city, a hub of the ancient world. And this letter got distributed to a ton of different churches. And what's important about that is it was written in generalities. It was ideas about Christianities that could apply to anyone, not a specific church in their specific church, uh, church situation at the time. So that means it applies equally well to us. In this passage, Paul gives us insight as what it means to embrace the grace of God. Now he starts off kind of negative. <clears throat> Verse 1 in chapter 2 is, For you, you were dead. That's kind of negative. Dead in your transgressions and sin. Dead meaning separated from life or separated from God. He's not talking about mistakers like we've talked about a couple of weeks ago. People who just, I made a mistake for the last four years on purpose. He's talking about sinners. I'm sorry, I guess I should have turned this on. Let's see if we can make that work. These are people who knew better. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. And Paul goes on to explain exactly what he's talking about over the next few verses, how far we were from God. And then he hits a transition point in verse 4. And he says this, but God. Now think about this. This isn't but you. That's how we pray, right? God, I know I've been awful, but I'm going to do better. God, I know I said I wouldn't, and I did, and I'm never again going, but I am never again going, I promise. That's how we tend to pray. These are the bargaining points with God that we do, and we do it without thinking about it, because that's how all of life works around us. But God, when we do it, by definition, we're underestimating the effects of sin. Jesus came and he said, yeah, your sin that you think is here, it's actually here. And how you downgrade sin, white lies versus things done to children, it's actually all up here. It's all 
sin. We underestimate the effects of sin, and we overestimate our own ability to do something about it. Paul continues, but God, being rich in mercy, in other words, God had mercy to spare. He had an overabundance of mercy that he was just given away. Paul believed God was rich in mercy because Paul didn't get what Paul deserved. If you remember, Paul, we first landed in scripture, was a guy named Saul who was dead set on demolishing the church, killing Christians, destroying it because he believed at the time that it was uh, coming, coming against, that it was uh, against everything that the Jewish tradition, Jewish faith had believed. So he was walking around with a license to kill and using it. And God decided, hey, I'm going to use that guy. And so there was this miraculous moment, and Paul became a Christian and now was building churches. In fact, in the ancient world, he planted and started more churches than anyone else. Paul knew about mercy because he knew what he deserved. Paul should have been dead when he met God on the road to Damascus. Paul was worse than me and way worse than you. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Let's read that together. Because of his great love with which he loved us. That phrase. Let's read that together. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Why is this important? Because it answers the question, why? God, why do you care? God, why do you pay attention to me? Why do you listen to my prayers? God, why would you give me a second chance? God, what have I done to deserve anything good from you? To which God would answer nothing. It's not about you. It's about God's great love with which he loved us. And we're going to say it again, but this time we're going to change the word us to me because we're going to drive this home. Say it with me. Because of his great love with which he loved me. Why? God loves you. God doesn't love you so that you'll obey. God doesn't love you so you'll get better. God doesn't love you so that you've got a leverage point and something that he, you can offer him. Because God loves you because God loves you. And his great love gave us mercy. This is the essence of grace. This is the major place where sometimes... And often, if we've grown up in church traditions, this is the major place that we have to renew our minds. If you're considering Christianity at all, if you're a Jesus follower and you're just... If you've walked away from the church and you're circling back around saying, maybe I missed something. If you're kicking the tires on this for the first time, this is the major point. This is at the center of what Christianity is all about. It doesn't work with how we view life. It may not work with what you've heard about God in the past. Certainly doesn't fit with how we a lot of times feel about what God and our relationship with him is all about. 
But it is at the center of the Christian faith. Because of God's great love with which he loved you, me, us. This is why we don't have to negotiate. This is why we don't have to bargain with God because he doesn't want something from us. He wants something for you. So let's put it together. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin and transgressions. Now, if you've read any of the prison epistles, you know that Paul is famous for run-on sentences. Sometimes you've got these books that are basically two sentences long, all six chapters. So if Paul were to sum it up for us, the next verse does that. It is by grace you have been saved. Saved means delivered from separation. Or to say it another way, God chose you, God chose to unseparate you because he wanted to, because he loved you, because he liked you. Sometimes we love people that we don't even want to spend time around. We're obligated. Maybe that's just my family. Not this family, my. Hi, Mom. No, my parents are great, but we've all got those people that are, right? Interesting thing about Jesus. When Jesus was here, Jesus hung out, liked people that were nothing like Jesus. And what's even more interesting is people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus a lot. God chose to unseparate you because he wanted to. And then Paul moves on, but a couple of verses later, in, in verse 8, he kind of circles around one more time just to drive this point home. And he says this, For it is by grace you have been saved. And he adds something new, through faith. Faith is the means by which we accept this grace. Faith is the means by which we appropriate the grace that God has made available and extended to us. Our faith for his grace. It means that through a single act of faith, when you acknowledge and embrace the fact that God loves you and that, the, that Christ died on the cross for your sin, that you can accept God's expression of love, that it was giving Christ away to the world and to each of us, to you. When you acknowledge and embrace that, then all of this grace becomes a reality for you. And then Paul goes on and he says this, this is not from yourself, it's the gift of God. Say gift. 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 Not charged, not traded for, not negotiated out, not bargained back on, given. Then Paul wraps the whole thing up this way, so there's absolutely no confusion. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Paul says, I want you to understand this. This is a gift because God is rich in mercy. This is a gift that's based on grace. It's a grace gift. Not because of your character or anything you've done, your good works, but because of God's great love with which he loved each and every one of us. 
to do something for you that you could never do for yourself, you could never earn for yourself. And all we have to do is ask. Because God loves you. So it brings us to a question we all have to answer for ourselves in our faith journey at some point. What standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? What standard? Your behavior, your performance, or God's grace? It can't be both, because once we start treating it like an equation, it's no longer grace, it's earned. The problem, if it's based on your behavior and your performance, is you're never going to know where you stand with God, because nowhere has God given humankind a recipe, a clear set set of guidelines to follow. Ten Commandments? Nope, that's not what they were for. Sermon on the Mount? Oh, that's actually even worse. You're kind of doomed if that's what you turn to. It's not in the Bible at all. But if we're honest, that's what we do a lot of the time, exactly what we do. We make up our own set of rules to follow. Like, don't murder and don't harm children and don't lie. Oh, and be nice, right? Church is about nice people getting together to be nicer. The first problem with whatever your list of rules is is that you made it up. Second problem is we don't even keep our own rules. We make them up and then we promptly ignore them. Another way of asking this would be, what standard, uh, asking this question, what standard will you use to determine where you stand with God? Another way of asking this is, is it based on what you do for you? Or is it based on what God has done for you? Is it based on what you do for you? Or are you going to look to what God has done? Because if it's based on what I do for me, I'm in bad enough shape already. Every religion of the world can be summarized with one word. Do. Do. Do this, do that, do something, do more, do more often, do better, do. Except Christianity. The word that sums up Christianity is the word done. Done for you. Done in spite of you. Done without regard to what you've ever done. Here's the point. Our morality doesn't play a role in our salvation. Our performance doesn't play a role in our salvation. Our behavior doesn't play any role in our salvation. I'm not saying those things don't matter. They will matter. But in terms of our salvation, it doesn't matter. When I was in school, went to a music school, and one of the things that they taught was bringing a chart up to zero. That may not mean a whole lot to you, but the point was is that you'll get these music charts from all over the place. Someone will listen to the radio and write it down. You'll get it from a publishing house like we do for a lot of our music. And plenty of, plenty of times, even if you buy professionally made, produced things like we do, they've got wrong chords, wrong lyrics. They've got wrong forms and orders of how things should go. Things are just wrong. And your first job at this music school was learning to bring a chart up to zero was just to get it flatlined so that 
from whatever you decided to do in terms of an arrangement, you had a clean chart to work with. That's what God's done for us. He's brought us up to zero. Doesn't matter what you've done. You're already at zero. Doesn't matter what you think about things. You're already at zero. Doesn't matter if you're performance-oriented or not. It doesn't matter if you're a screw-up like me or not. We're all up to zero because of God's great love for us. There's nothing you can do, nothing we can do to earn our salvation or ensure our salvation. All of the to-dos in the Christian life, catch this, all of the to-dos in the Christian life are simply responses to what God has already done for us. All of the to-dos in the Christian life are responses, simply responses. It grows out of what God has already, or we could say it, to done for us. In fact, the only reason we do anything as Christians is because those things have already been done for us. We talked about that earlier. We forgive because we've already been forgiven. We give because we've been given to. We serve because we were served first. We're kind because of the kindness of God extended to us. And we love because God first loved you, me, us. The reason the message of Jesus is good news, we call it the gospel, to the entire world is that there's no more guessing, there's no more wondering, there's no more negotiating or bargaining. It's been done for you and me. Because of God's great love with which he loved us. By grace, you've been saved through faith, the gift of God. That's why we call grace amazing and sing this old hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wreck like me. That's why we call it amazing, because it seems too good to be true, but it is, it is true. This is the plan that Jesus came, not to get more from you, but to extend his grace, a solution to you. So let's quit trying to negotiate, negotiate our way to God or bargain our way towards a relationship with God again. Instead, because let's just come and accept because we never need to bargain with God. We never, never need to negotiate with our Heavenly Father because he loves us and he has our best interests in mind. Today we're going to close with a question. The idea of unconditional grace is big. It's hard to get our minds wrapped around. Grace that is truly unconditional usually makes people say, okay, but what about... and fill in the blank. But what about when I... or what about if I... or what about that guy who... but what about whatever your question is? And today I'm just going to encourage you to talk about, have those conversations as we break and you go to lunch or you have the rest of your day. 
What are your what about questions? This is Ordinary Faith. That's the name of our church, our gathering. Ordinary means we should have questions. Ordinary means it should be okay to have questions. There's nothing in Scripture says that if you've got a question, you can't follow Jesus. No. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me. He didn't say get your life in order, get your questions in order, get your doubts in order, get your... You just come like you are. What are your... But what about questions? Have those conversations this week. And let the grace of God help settle those in your mind. Feel free to text or call, 224-4404. Don't call, text. You'll get a response quicker. You can call. With your questions. We've got people that do that every single week. But what about Pastor Michael and I? Our best to tackle them and point you in the right direction according to what Scripture says. Our morality, our performance, our behavior doesn't play a part in our salvation. Those things come as a response to what God has done for us, but they're always after. And if you can get your head wrapped around that, it will resolve your hesitations, your concerns, your worries about rebuilding a relationship with God. Because of God's great love that he extended toward us. Worship team, come, let's pray. Father God, open our hearts. Where we've had doubts, where we've had concerns, where we've been worried about the things we do and don't do and how that might affect our relationship with you. I pray today that you'd settle that for us once for all. Because you sent your son to die for our sins once for all. Not based on anything that we had done or could do or could bargain with or leverage, but simply because of your great love with which you loved each and every one of us. Father, drill that into our hearts and minds today, that your love has no conditions, that your mercy and grace are freely extended to each of us, and that we can simply come to you and say, okay, I accept that, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for this time, in Jesus' name, amen.